Okay, guys, welcome back to the next episode of the College Democast. Um, I'm here with Emma again and a few guests who we're going to introduce in a little bit. Uh, this episode is actually a little bit different than the last one that we had. Um, we don't have a name for it quite yet, and we are very interested in hearing if anybody has any suggestions. But basically, this is going to be a segment where we're going to be talking about issues that disproportionately impact women in the non-binary community. So we haven't, like I said, been able to find a title or a name for it. So if you have any suggestions, please reach out to us. Yeah, and so in this episode, we're going to be talking about reproductive rights, um, specifically the recent Supreme Court case that knocked down a Louisiana law for clinics. And then we're going to go into Biden's record with reproductive rights. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, for the namesake, we have a couple ideas floating around. Uh, we threw out like Dem Ladies or something like Femme Dems, but if you have anything that is better than that or you like one of those two, uh, please let us know. And you can tweet at us at PSU College Dems. Um, and without further ado, um, I want to introduce the rest of our guests on today's episode of The Woman's Pod. Aida, do you want to go first and take it away? Uh, just your name, uh, your major, and um, your favorite thing you ever did in college gyms. Hi everybody, my name's Ada Shattuck. Uh, I'm gonna be a sophomore, I'm a film major, and my favorite thing I've done in Dem so far is just made the best friends I have at Penn State. So yeah, please join if you haven't already. Okay, don't make me cry, but true. Oh. Uh, Stella, do you wanna go next? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Stella. I'm gonna be a sophomore also. I'm an English major. And my favorite Dems memory is when uh, me, Emma, and Kelsey went trying to like, you know, what do we call it? Canvassing. Yes. Canvassing. Canvassing. <laughs> and nobody answered except for one person and his dog ran out of his apartment. And it was Aww. terribly fun. <laughs> yeah, back when we could actually canvass and talk to real people in person. What a political time. <laughs> and then last but not least, uh, Maliha, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey y'all, my name is Molly Hot. I'm an electrical engineering major and I'm a rising sophomore and my favorite memory from them have to be making friends and going to socials. Oh yeah, socials too. Oh, what a time. Oh, rip. <laughs> Alrighty, um, that is our group of gals today. Um, we're pretty, uh, we all have different interests within Penn State. We'll have a lot of different perspectives um, going into this, which is super exciting. So the first thing we wanted to talk about today um, was the recent Supreme Court case um, about the Louisiana law. Uh, Gabby, do you want to go into a little bit about uh, what happened? Yeah, so I think it was back in June um, sometime where the Supreme Court struck down a abortion law. So the law basically... Um, is talking about admitting privileges and saying doctors, and somebody please correct me if I have this wrong, um, <laughs> but doctors at abortion clinics need um, admitting privileges at local hospitals um, in order to practice, which is an issue because like decrease the amount of abortion clinics in Louisiana. I think it would have just left one, if I have that right. Yeah, um, just one. And I mean, it's a big state. So like, if you're not close to one, and you need um, an abortion, like that's, that's an issue, especially on people, um, you know, near the poverty line, 
you know, paying for gas and like a hotel. Cause I think a lot of places you need to have like an appointment beforehand before the procedure and talking about, um, you know, hotel expenses too. It's, it, it was just a big issue and it, it's a really good thing that it's been struck down. Yeah, it was. So basically this is like a trap law um, and it's a law just trying to get the Supreme court to, essentially have talks about abortions because we all know that um, the conservative agenda at this point is to try to get rid of Roe v. Wade um, and take it down in any way possible. Um, so yeah, this is what it's doing. Admitting privileges aren't really important when it comes to like abortion access and abortion providing. Um, admitting privileges are kind of like hit or miss, like the hospital at their discretion decides who can have admitting privileges. And it's not like a good doctor gets admitting privileges versus a bad doctor gets admitting privileges. Um, so the hospitals can be in cahoots and know that this doctor is an abortion provider and specifically not give them admitting privileges. The argument for that is that, oh, we're here for the safety of the women, um, but you're clearly not here for the safety of the women. It's just trying to create restrictions on abortion. Um, and the safest way to provide for women is to have access to abortion. Um, so it's kind of contradictory in itself. Um, interestingly enough about the verdict, um, it was actually a 5-4 decision with Chief Justice John Roberts, who is a conservative justice. He cast the fifth vote, um, striking down the Louisiana law. Um, he sided with the four liberal justices. Those are four liberal justices that we know and love. Um, but yeah, he actually doesn't believe in the law, and he said that, but he believes in precedent over um, his belief in the law because um, this law was already struck down in Texas. Like the wording of the laws were the exact same. Um, so he decided on precedent that he had a side with that. And I wrote in our notes, uh, Trump big mad, like he's just mad about this. <laughs> he has these conservative justices, um, but he wants to be essentially doing all his conservative agenda. Um, and they're not because mm, it's not lawful at times. Um, and chief, thank God, uh, chief justice John Roberts sided with the liberal justices or, um, Louisiana's, um, access to abortion would be looking very different right now. Um, so now to turn it over to the rest of the gang, that was kind of a long win before it, but um, like, how does this make us feel? Um, are we nervous about future abortion laws making it to the Supreme Court? We know that the Supreme Court has kind of decided not to do a lot with abortion, um, this term at least, but um, in coming terms, yeah, how are we feeling about it? So there's a quote from the New York Times article specifically saying um, the, the Supreme Court devalued both the health of mothers and the lives of unborn children. And this was said by Kaylee McEnany, I probably butchered that, and she's the White House press secretary. I was like really like mad about that quote specifically because what about children who are in cages in the southern border of Texas right now that was unfortunately separated by this administration? Or what about children and in foster care and orphanages around the country like why do their lives not matter and like that my resolution from like this law specifically is that like you cannot be pro-life if you don't value other children's lives just because they look different or they don't speak the same language as you they're like essentially pro-controlling women in their autonomy yeah wow so true um yeah that quote from the press secretary does make me so angry because striking down a getting rid of abortion and trying to put these laws in place to restrict abortion is restricting women's ability to thrive and um have bodily autonomy i have a comment on the pro-life 
phrase. I've started trying to say anti-choice instead of pro-life because pro-life is just like not an accurate statement to what people that claim they are believe that, but just the science behind it is not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to use anti-choice more instead of pro-life to try and like get it in my head and to have other people like understand what the difference is between the two. Yeah, so I've always kind of thought that there's not a huge chance that we'll be able to change the conservative conservative populace's mind about abortion rights in general as a whole. At this point, it's not about trying to create more nuanced arguments or even using different terms to make them seem or make them realize that they are anti-woman instead of anti-death or whatever they want to call it. So right now, we need to look to basically the 2020 election for some kind of hope of not having to rely on Roberts to be the voice of reason, Um, which that's just not realistic at this point. We can't expect that Trump can be reelected and then we'll have a 7-3 majority of conservative judges. Um, I'm not going to be one to say that Biden is some kind of champion for women's rights, but right now we need to work harder to elect him if we want Roe v. Wade to stand. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of like sliding into my next question. So yeah, Ada kind of hinted at like the next thing I wanted to talk about with you guys um, is like RBG, love her, but she is old and we're probably in the next term gonna replace two justices in a matter of um, if that term is a Trump administration or a Biden administration um, can really make up like American law for years to come and um we sometimes forget about the impact that the Supreme Court has because it's removed. It's supposed to be removed from politics, but um, we all know that it's not at this point. Um, But yeah, like how are we feeling about the older justices, us losing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, judges being replaced, justices being replaced in the next term, um, and then the looming threat of being able to change Roe v. Wade? I mean, like, of course it's like scary because we all know um, realistically, having Roe v. Wade overturned is not going to stop abortions. It's going to stop access to safe abortions. Before, you know, Roe v. Wade was passed, women still had abortions. That is like a scary thought to think like, well, if you need one, whether you can't financially provide for a child at that time, or you're not a place in your life where you can have a child, or you simply just don't want a kid, knowing that you'd either have to go through with the pregnancy or you'd have to go through with a very life-threatening sort of home procedure is very scary. I want to like extend on Ada's point of the importance of voting for Biden because like I feel if we we like really need to push on that because personally I feel that Roe v. Wade will be will get overturned sooner or later and I'm like really terrified of that and also God bless RBG and like the service that she did as Supreme Court Justice and like Biden just needs to appoint like a good judge like like her and like who will fight not only for women's rights but LGBTQA plus rights, immigration rights, all the rights that I cannot name as of now. And a couple of weeks ago I saw a tweet that said like RBG is like the only thing stopping this country fall from like like full slide into like fascism and that's that's pretty scary if you tell me because like in like the past fascism has been like really scary and really terrifying 
Yeah, I think RBG has had such an amazing part in shaping um, the court and the politics for so many years. And she did such an amazing service. Um, and to think of her replacement and her follow-up um, being a scary conservative judge um, that won't hold, uphold her values um, is so sad to me. So um, I've seen like a lot of messaging around like this election um, be like, oh, you're not voting for Biden, you're voting for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but um, it's very true and um, highlights the importance of voting in this 2020 election. Okay, cool. Uh, Gabby, do you want to take it away with the starting off talking about Biden in 2020? Yeah, so this is obviously um, a tricky discussion. I, I guess not tricky, but it's it's one that we have to have. Um, Biden is obviously the front runner for the Democratic Party, and he doesn't have the best um, track record when it comes to reproductive rights. And I think best is honestly putting it lightly. It's, it's not great. Um, so we have with the Hyde Amendment, he was a big supporter of until I think he started ca campaigning and somebody can fact check me on that. In 1977, he voted against a compromise that allowed Medicaid to fund abortions. Um, in 1981, um, he voted to remove them after they had already passed. Like he just has a lot of history of voting against reproductive rights. But of course, then we have to think about, like we said, the, the other candidate does not have a great track history either. So it really comes down to the lesser of evils. Yeah, so wh what do we think about that? I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said we have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Um, Biden is not gonna live up to every one of our wildest, wildest expectations for some kind of um, feminist president. Uh, he doesn't have a great track record. I think that in a lot of ways he may continue to fail us, but I think the harm that will be imparted upon us through Biden will be from lack of action rather than like active malice, uh, which is what we face under another four years of Trump. Right. And like we have to also recognize that he, I feel like Biden is trying. Like he has walked back like his stance on the Hyde Amendment. He has um, done a lot to make his platform um, as pro-choice as possible, I think, um, for his sake as a moderate. He's tried to reconcile his past, um, but it's really hard to do that when, like even when Roe v. Wade came out, he said that women shouldn't have the sole right to do it. Like, she said that um, a woman shouldn't have the sole right to say what should happen to her body, which is just, like, if he said that now, like, I could never support him as a candidate, but he has walked that back and he has like said, now he says if he's elected, he would codify Roe v. Wade, um, which was on the platform of a lot of um, the Democratic candidates that we saw um, in the past year. And he said that he would restore federal funding to Planned Parenthood um, and help try to support reproductive care um, and health services, um, especially surrounding abortion. So I think he is trying. Um, I just hope that he will continue to try and push forward for women's rights. With Biden and his stance on um, abortion and everything, especially in the past as his position in the Senate, like I still feel really uncomfortable to this day if he's going to like live up to his um, expectation 
because I feel like he will codify Roe v. Wade, like Emma mentioned, but in like restore um, funding for Planned Parenthood. But however, I think it's going to stop at that. Like he's not going to like go the extra mile to protect women's rights. Yeah, I, I do think that's pretty accurate. I feel like Biden is the sort of compromised candidate, you know, just to get Trump out. Um, and then when he was elected, I don't even want to say if, because that's, that's awful to think about. Um, but when he is elected, like, we can't stop, obviously. We have to keep pushing to make his platform as progressive as we would have liked to see it be with another candidate. Yeah, I would agree with that, Gabby. I'd say that his um, his ability to change his viewpoint on the matter thus far in his life and his career is kind of indicative that his uh, his moderateness on this topic, at least, I don't want to say in general, is a bit malleable, and he may be able to be pushed a little bit more left. Um, so that's reassuring. And I do think that should he be elected, he would definitely make better appointments to the Supreme Court than President Trump would. Um, So that's also reassuring. I think with Biden even, like, he is going to do a better job of surrounding him with people who are educated enough to the point where they can help him make informed decisions on anything. Like, he might not be the most informed or the most prepared to make the perfect decision, but I have faith in his ability to place people around him to help him make the best decisions. And that kind of like slides us into our next thing of um, his choice to have a woman vice president. He hasn't said who, um, but he has put it out there into the universe that um, he would have a woman as his running mate. Um, The first kind of thing I wanted to talk about you, talk to you guys about with that is um, how do we feel about the way he went about making that announcement? Um, He made it during a debate against Bernie Sanders. Um, How do we feel was that appropriate? Do we think that was the time and place for it? Do you think that kind of um, put a rough sentiment to the whole idea? Uh, I absolutely hate it. Uh, it feels like tokenism to me. It felt like maybe an accidental slip where he was trying to overcompensate for something that sounded anti-feminist. I'm not really sure, but it feels wrong to me to make some kind of promise that you're going to pick someone to be vice president just because of their gender. And I know that's not what he's trying to broadcast. It's not like I'm going to pick a woman, any woman. But if you're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to pick a woman for vice president, you should probably have a few in mind and have talked to them about it first. So that's my viewpoint. Whenever I saw the debate um, when he like mentioned that he's going to have a female vice president, I was personally thrown off because I thought he would have had like a male vice president, someone similar to like Bob Casey. And similar to what Ada said, like it's like tokenism and trying to, and like trying to like put a woman on that spot. Like I wish he would have done this in more of like a private setting in which like the public eye wasn't always looking at him like of who his VP pick was. And I thought, and I wish he went through this like more privately. I agree with that too. Like the way that he brought it up in a debate against Biden, it's kind of like he was saying, like, "Hey, at least with me, we'll have a lady." I don't know, like win himself over by because he knew that he knew that people would like that, obviously, because women in government is always a good thing. But I think, yeah, I think he was too casual about it. I don't think 
the debate was the right way to do it. I'm all for having a woman VP, but I think a press conference could have worked, um, you know, doing it in a private setting, as Molly Ha said, and then coming to the public with the decision. But I feel like at a debate, it's very like, you haven't said this about your VP, like I'm going to say it before anyone else gets the chance, just because I thought of it right now. Yeah, and I like, I don't know, I, I, I'm very torn about this personally. So, like, on the one hand, I'm like, hmm, tokenism, like, is, are his motives there? Like, I don't know. I don't like how he has to, I don't like the whole fact that we have to announce that, like, I'm going to have a woman vice president. And then everyone has to go, <gasps> like, what? Like, why are we shocked about this? Why isn't that just, like, why is him appointing a woman vice president have to, well, choosing a woman vice president, um, has to be, like, a thing? Like, why can't that be so normal and so, like expected kind of that you'd have a a like a ticket that is encompassing of our population and like but it's not because like um he's a white male you know what I mean uh so it's just like I don't understand the shock factor of it like why is this shocking why can't it just be normal why does it have to be a thing but I also understand how the campaign wanted to make it a thing because it is important that we have representation on the ticket and it is important that we have a woman in higher power um, in the Oval Office and we haven't seen that yet. And like, I, it's so vitally important that we do start seeing women um, in the vice presidency, in the presidency. And 2016 hurt, it hurt a lot of people and it hurt a lot of women because that was our first chance to have a woman on the ticket and our first chance to have a woman in the, like at the president's office and at the presidency and we missed it, and we kind of, like, it felt like an attack. I know personally, like, it was like, oh, like, that kind of felt like the United States wasn't ready for a woman president, and we've had women VP candidates before. This isn't something new. Um, there has been women VPs in the past, and, like, one of the most famous ones is Sarah Palin. We know how that went, though. It didn't end up working out very well for John McCain, but, um, like, she wasn't the first woman to be selected as a vice presidential candidate, um, but I understand in now is the time to have a woman VP and how important it is to have a woman VP um, and a woman president, hopefully <laughs> sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. And I also see like how having a woman vice president now will help us have a woman president. Um, I don't think Biden will make eight, like two terms. So the vice presidency is in some way a step to the Oval Office. And I feel like the guiding principle will be like, okay, Biden does one term, and then his VP will run and do the second term. Um, that's in my vision, and I think what a lot of people are starting to think. So this is why the vice presidency is so important, because of Biden's age. And yeah. Yeah, I won't be impressed until he uh, tells us who it is that he's picking. Like you said, if it's some kind of Sarah Palin or like Amy Klobuchar, no thanks. I'll pass on that. But yeah. Um, let's get a Stacey Abrams in there and then maybe I'll be less disappointed in the way he announced his premature decision to the world. Yeah. How do we, how do we feel about the names that are be throwing around like that have been thrown around about it? Um, like Ada just said, um, Stacey Abrams has been thrown around my personal favorite, um, Susan Rice, uh, Kamala Harris to name a couple. Um, but how are we feeling about the, contenders that have been thrown out and I know Amy Klobuchar has been thrown out too so um how do we feel about those I really like this 
this list of phenomenal women who are in consideration of the VP um, spot, including Kamala, Elizabeth Warren. My personal pick is Susan Rice because she's like qualified. She served under Obama and she's, she's not only really smart, but like she knows how to like get stuff done. And I, I don't know if I don't know if this is right, but I feel like she did like a lot of foreign affairs stuff under the Obama administration. So Susan Rice is like my top favorite. Also Tammy Duckworth, Duckworth's name has been like thrown around and like it would be cool to have like an Asian VP. So I'm like, that's my take. Yeah, I think there is a big pull to have, especially in the wake of um, kind of our newly found civil rights movement in the United States. I don't want to say newly found because the civil rights movement has been happening and it hasn't really ever stopped. Um, but for a large majority of the population, there was a bit of a racial awakening. Um, but there is a bigger push to have a woman of color as the vice president. Um, and that's why like Stacey Abrams, Susan Rice. Um, yeah, like Molly Hall, Susan Rice uh, was heavily involved in foreign affairs. Um, she's a pretty cool lady. She has so much diplomatic experience, um, which we kind of need because Trump ripped our State Department to shreds. Mike Pompeo, uh, not a great Secretary of State by any means. Um, and yeah, Trump has done an amazing job of ripping our federal government and our federal agencies and all diplomacy we've had and worked so hard for kind of to shreds. So um, the Vice President may well be working on rebuilding the State Department and Susan Rice would be an amazing person for that. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think um, my top choices would have to be Rice and Abrams. Um, I really wish Abrams had won that race back in 2018. I really feel like she got snubbed. So to see her in like the administration that high up would be awesome. And, you know, as Molly Hall and everyone was saying, um, Rice has uh, an outstanding record. Um, the national, I think, yeah, national security advisor and ambassador to the United, uh, the United Nations under Obama. Um, I, I would say those probably are my two top picks. And then I have a question to raise, actually. So I don't remember from when Hillary or Obama were running. Um, is this like late in the process to not have picked a VP or is this normal? I honestly have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, me either. I mean, technically, we would have had, like, we would have already had the Democrat, like, the DNC convention. Um, but I don't know, this is just also such a weird time to be campaigning and to making campaign decisions. So I'm not totally sure. Right. Yeah, I think his VP choice is going to go a long way with voters on either side. Like, I know for people who are excited about Bernie, like, we're going to want to see somebody who is more on the progressive side, sort of, I don't know if you want to say a compromise, but just like an acknowledgement that we'd like to see more progressive leadership in the White House. Um, so I think that's also going to play a part in voter turnout. I hope not, but I think it probably will, um, or people will be more likely to get excited and excite other people if they know that the VP is somewhat on the progressive side or, you know, people who are more moderate and wanted someone like Klobuchar or Pete, they might go, you know, be more excited for somebody with a more moderate background. Yeah, I just looked up, Gabby, your question. And uh, Obama's campaign announced that he chose Joe Biden as the vice president. 
um, on August 23rd, 2008. So I feel like it's not, it's not too late in the game. We're getting around the same time. It's kind of the VP picking time hotspot. Um, but yeah, I am excited to see who he does pick. Um, I would like to go around and ask everyone their prediction. Um, not, well, two, I would like everyone to say two things, who they want it to be um, and then who they think it is going to be. Um, I honestly don't know who I would want it to be. In all honesty, it, it's not something I've looked into enough to make an educated decision. And I also really like the idea of getting some kind of new blood into the White House. Like we talk about Susan Rice is kind of like she was around when Obama was in office. Um, and of course, experience isn't something to kind of just uh, not appreciate in this case, of course. But also, I don't know if we should constantly be emulating the Obama presidency and like kind of referring to it as our glory years or whatever. I think there's um, a lot to good, a lot of good to come from accepting some new points of views and maybe not having these kind of allegiances within the White House, which as we've seen, especially during the Trump presidency, can be really dangerous. Um, so that's my two cents on that. And then I would suspect it's going to be Kamala or Susan Rice. I want Stacey Abrams because I just think that she's awesome. And when she was running in 2018, I just like really liked keeping up with that kind of stuff. And I'm going to guess that Kamala is going to be the one that he picks. I don't know why. I just feel like that's what it's going to be. My predictions, like who I personally want it to be, is obviously Susan Rice with her background information and with her background and everything. But Ada really did point out a good point of um, how we don't want to emulate 2008 and 2012, but we have to keep on going forward and change not only for ourselves, but for our country and bring in new perspectives, new voices so we can have actual change happen in the White House rather than emulating the glory years of the Obama administration. But I think I'm suspecting that the VP pick will be Kamala Harris. Yeah, and not to piggyback, but again, um, I think Ada made a great point. Um, so I, I think that Biden will probably go with either Kamala or Rice. I mean, he got to know Kamala well on the campaign trail and he worked with Rice for a lot of years. Um, so I, I feel like he might be more geared to choose one of those women because he's gotten to know them um, extremely well. But I, I would like to see Stacey Abrams, I think. I think a lot of these women on the list are extremely qualified and would do a very great job. But I think Stacey Abrams is probably who I'd like to see. Yeah, I think that I would like to see Stacey Abrams because with her track record and she had the highest voter turnout ever in a Georgia election and almost flipped Georgia's governorship blue, um, which I think is just amazing and shows testament to like what her voice and hope brings to people, which I think is part of the problem with this campaign. With the Obama campaigns, there's a sentiment of hope and like change and that really drove people and people could resonate with that. Um, and I feel that this campaign, instead of hope, it is an anti-Trump campaign. A lot of us are um, becoming hopeful and are feeling those sentiments of energizing, not around Biden, but around this idea of trying to get rid of a Trump administration. 
So I think Stacey Abrams would bring a new a new sentiment to the campaign. I think it would feel different. I think a lot more people would get excited about it, um, especially to see a woman of color who can energize voters the way she does. Um, and also because of her um, track record with working with voter suppression. I think voter suppression is going to be such a huge topic in this election, not only because of the recent, like I said, upbringing with kind of a racial awakening in the United States, but also with this whole mail-in ballot situation that's happening where there's messaging left and right that mail-in ballots are fraud. Mail-in ballots aren't accurate when we have been using mail-in ballots since the Civil War. Like, we've been doing this. Like, it's nothing new. Um, and the effort to stop mail-in voting is nothing but an effort for voter suppression because Republicans know when you have more people voting, um, it's not on their side. So I can see the manipulation happening. And I think she has made such a stand against voter suppression that she could be the person on the ticket to make a stand against um, this whole rough situation with mail-in voting and also really drive the vote out and get people excited. And then who I think it's going to be, I don't know, something something says in my heart, which I don't know why, that he might pick Warren, which I think would be such a curveball, but she's on the list. And I think, I don't know, like, I feel like everyone's saying Susan Rice or Kamala, so I don't know, maybe we'll jinx ourselves and it'll be Warren. I would be happy with Warren. I would rather have a woman of color on the ticket, but Warren's pretty, pretty cool and progressive. And she ran an amazing campaign in the primary, so. I'd rather someone younger. True. <laughs> just because everyone's been so old recently and like, just like <laughs> a little so bit old. younger. Like, come on, just a little bit. Like, can they be like pre-retirement age? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know, this is such a hot, a tall order. It's weird that that seems like a tall order. Yeah. You know, politics, it's just everybody's getting to that age. Mm -hmm. But it, it's nice seeing um, younger people come in, like AOC. It just, I think it gets younger people um, more excited because they're more relatable, of course. Like, it's, it's hard to relate to somebody that's, like, in their 70s when we're clearly not. So I, I get that sentiment. Yeah, I totally understand where Stella is coming from. I personally did some canvassing work for Elizabeth Warren's campaign, like, like this past school year, and I loved Warren. And like, even though I didn't vote for her in the primaries, she she is like a really good candidate for VP. But at the same time, I just really want someone young and fresh, and I don't know, like a new perspective. Because like, I feel like where the U.S. is headed right now, like we need some like not necessarily like a wave of hope, but like a wave of change like happening in our country. Yeah, and I agree with you guys that there there is something to be said about representation, whether it be uh, race or age, but also I'd prefer Warren over even Kamala. Um, I think we saw in both of their presidential campaigns that Elizabeth Warren is far more progressive. Um, than Kamala. So like, we should probably keep an open mind to people's platforms rather than just their demographics. Right. Yeah, definitely. And your, your demographic doesn't always point to your values or how you're going to vote or how you're going to support people. 
yeah, Warren did run an amazing primary campaign. She is a progressive queen. Um, yeah, and I think she would be a really cool vice president to have as well. And that's who that is my prediction of who Joe Biden will pick. The last thing I kind of wanted to just bring up and touch on, um, I didn't put this in the outline, but I was just thinking about it because um, it's so recent, is um, everything going on with AOC and Rep um, Yoho and what happened there. Um, just, uh, it was kind of all over the news and all over social media. Um, does anyone want to kind of like summarize that? So to my understanding, they were having a, a discussion in the hallway outside of um, one of the halls. And I think Yoho got mad about what AOC said that crime might be spiking in New York City um, because of COVID and um, people are just not, you know, the economy's going down and people aren't having enough money. Um, and he got really aggravated about that, even though it's most definitely true. Um, and he called her, I can't remember what exactly he said, but something that should not be said, especially yeah, in a he, professional setting. Um, he called her, yeah, a fucking bitch. <laughs> he like said it in front of reporters. He didn't, he said it like under his breath and turned around, but he said it, he did say it to her and he did say it in front of reporters. And yeah, it was in the, on the steps of um, Congress, but crazy right and like if you had said that to somebody like in front of a teacher at like your job like you definitely get reprimanded probably fired so the fact that like our politicians aren't being held to this standard of like common decency is very ridiculous um but then i think the the second part is you know where yoho like stood up and you can't see me, obviously, but I'm doing apologizing quotations because that was the most half-assed apology. It wasn't, he didn't even apologize. He was just like, I didn't say that because I have daughters and a wife. And so, like, I can't because obviously I respect women if I have them in my life, which is ridiculous. And AOC just had a phenomenal speech um, kind of refuting that and the idea that just because men are surrounded by women in their life doesn't mean they're decent. The reason why Yoho didn't apologize is because he didn't mean it. Like, he definitely still, like, like he didn't take his words back or anything. Like, he definitely still means what he said. And I just, like, I like how, like, scary AOC is to all the other reps. It's just, like, it's awesome. Like, <laughs> they're so afraid of her because that means that she's powerful and she's going to, like, change a lot. And she's, like, really threatening to people that want to keep things the way that they are. Yeah, definitely. And like he 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 said like when he was addressing it, it wasn't an apology. He said, "I'm not going to apologize for loving my God and country." Like, uh, uh, okay, like what? Like you can love your country, but then also understand how to respect women. And like, I love how AOC just dismissed that whole trope of, "Oh, like I'm nice to my wife and my daughters, therefore I love like." I support women. I support, you know what I mean? Like I can't be a uh, sexist pig there because I have a wife and I have daughters. Like that's a, like the, you have to be nice to all women. You can't just be nice to the people that you birthed or you're married to. Like you, it's a trope and it's a way that like the patriarchy has continued. Like you can't, you have to support all women, not just those in your immediate circle. 
Yeah, like we have to re- respect women, like no matter who they are or whether they're we're married to them or they're our daughters. Like, like the fact that he said those vile words to AOC, who has not only accomplished so much as during her term as the rep- as a U.S. rep, but like she has gone like beyond what what he has done. And like as a girl who's in engineering, I face like a lot of sexism, so I know like where AOC is coming from because like I get like a lot of crap for being a woman in engineering unfortunately but the fact but I loved AOC's speech no matter what she said it very well and we need to like dismantle this hate this disrespect towards women in politics because like it's gonna only hurt us in the long run and we can't afford and we can't afford to do that. He would have never said anything that vile if it was to a older man like it's both ageism and sexism all wrapped up into one like him dismissing her because of her age because she's a young woman and like then also dismissing her because she's a woman of color like it's just looking at so many problematic things in our society and to do that as a like a member of congress is just insane to me i don't know if this is something you guys might want to delete later but i feel like we might be kind of remiss and hypocritical to not talk about Tara Reid for a second. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there, first of all. But again, potentially lesser of two evils between Biden and Trump. But we need to look at how Yoko's lack of apology was so problematic in this case. If he would have come out with a really sincere I can't believe I said that. That's so wrong. I have to really reassess the way that I think about my female coworkers and just women in general. Like maybe we would be able to accept that apology because he's acknowledged the harm that he's caused, dealt with it internally, and then come forward with a formal apology. I think we should expect the same kind of behavior from the leadership that we as Democrats are looking to. Biden, has been accused of sexual assault by Tara Reid. If you haven't looked into it, you should. Mm -hmm. If you, like me, are a feminist and you believe that this is wrong, I think that we should all keep continuing to ask Biden to at least, at the very least, address the misdoings that he's done. Uh, Yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. No, I think that's 100% valid and 100% true. And, like, we have to... Yeah, like, that's just as bad, if not worse, than the situation um, with Rep. Yoho. Like, it's, like, sexual assault and harassment in the workplace, which Joe Biden has been accused of, um, and just making women uncomfortable in general. We've all seen those, like, videos of Joe Biden being really creepy towards women, but, like, he hasn't really apologized for it, and especially, like, or addressed the terror raid situation um, in a way that is, I think, adequate. Um in any way, shape, or form, besides just admitting it as false. And yeah, we have to hold our candidates, our reps, to the same standard we would as anyone else. I'm glad that Ada brought up with the Tara Reid, um, with Tara Reid in Biden, because I have it in my notes that I was like really uncomfortable with Joe Biden and like women's rights, especially with like the rape allegations, because like every story is valid and the fact that he hasn't like come like come across or like come forth with honesty about this like really like 
really is like nails on a chalkboard just like screeching and like it like really like terrifies me. So that wasn't exactly the lightest note to end on, but I think it does kind of summarize what we came here to talk about, um, specifically in terms of Joe Biden, that there's room for progress and improvement, but that can only come from addressing the faults and the bad shitty things that you've done in your past, whether that be your voting history on abortion rights or even sexual assault, there is room for improvement and even potentially um, a possibility for forgiveness. Um, yeah, so hopefully that can kind of lighten the situation and get us all ready to go out there. And if you're for it, get people to start voting for Joe Biden, preferably through mail-in ballots. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was an amazing way to kind of wrap that up and also to end on a positive note and a positive um, outlook on things. So um, I think that kind of concludes our first segment of the Women's Pod. Yay! Um, we were all really excited to do this um, and excited to get a Women's Pod off the ground. Like we said, we don't want to keep referring it to, we don't want to keep referring to it as the Women's Pod. Um, so if you have any fun names uh, you think um, would be cool, or we can all brainstorm too. Um, some cool names for the women's pod. Feel free to tweet at us, text us. Um, and also on that note, um, if you want to submit topics to us, um, anything you want to hear on the regular pod or on the women's pod specifically, I know that I hope to do maybe a women's pod in the future on um, cool women candidates running across Pennsylvania and the country leading up to 2020. I think that would be a cool thing. Um, but yeah, any suggestions for the podcast on the Women's Pod, um, tweet at us. Um, at, that's again at PSU College Dems. Um, yeah, and then also if you are a member of Dems and you want to be on the podcast, uh, please reach out. Um, anything else, ladies, before we end it? No, uh, thanks for having it. us. Yeah, thank you for having <laughs> us. Thank you. Sure. Uh, yeah, thank you guys again for joining us for this episode and thank you to our listeners for listening again um we're hoping to have another episode to you guys as soon as we can um it might get a little hectic with everyone moving in soon and such um but we've really enjoyed doing this and we got a lot of great feedback from our last episode um which makes us happy that we're providing you guys with some content that you enjoy listening to yeah i think that about covers it uh we'll see you guys next time